Good morning, Tri-Valley. This is Jacob. I'm not able to be with you this morning, but I'm glad I can still bring the message uh, from Luke chapter 19. It's the next sermon in our Gospel Plus series where we're asking the question, what does the gospel have to do with our daily lives? How does it connect with the things that people talk about in daily conversations? This morning, we're going to talk about the gospel and work. And I want to start by telling you a cool story about something that happened this week. Uh, we had our neighbors over and I was hanging out with the uh, husband in the backyard. Lisa and his wife were in the living room having like separate hang times, conversations. And then when they left, we Lisa and I were like, well, what'd you guys talk about? Well, what'd you guys talk about? I said, actually, uh, we talked a lot about what's in my sermon for this coming Sunday, the gospel plus work. Because my neighbor just got a new job. Like he switched jobs to start working for the startup company and he's excited about the change, but he's a little bit concerned that it's going to be more work. It's going to take him away from home. And then open the door for me to just share some of the, the principles about how when you have your identity in Christ, this is how you approach work. And I said, what did you and his wife talk about? And she said, oh, uh, we actually talked about the pain peace cycle, which is the language that they use in our Relate Strong seminars. And it comes out of Ephesians 4, where Paul talks about putting off the old self and in Christ, you put on the new self. And I was like, wow, this is this is awesome. Like we, we got to share the gospel and talk about Jesus in the course of our usual normal conversations. And that really kind of illustrates the value of this series. Because these two neighbors, we have tried to get them to come to church. We've tried to get them to come to a small group Bible study that meets in our home, and they've kind of just not really been interested. But when we're having normal conversations about life, and we start sharing about how our faith integrates with life, that stuff just naturally comes out. <clears throat> So that's what we've been talking about in the last few weeks is just when we understand the gospel and how it relates to common areas of our lives that people talk about most often, like money and relationships and family and like today work, then uh, we'll have a healthier relationship with those things and it'll be easier for us to share with others when the topic comes up in conversations. So this morning we're going to dive into the gospel plus work. I'm going to start with a... Uh, story that you might be familiar with. This is Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once, welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus is a great story. It's got all these memorable elements. you got this guy who they, they make a point to point out. He was real short, and that's why he climbed up in a tree, because he wanted to see Jesus. But it turned out that that encounter changed his life. What I want us to notice this morning is that Zacchaeus changed the way he did life because of that encounter with Jesus. 
And the same thing should happen with us. If we are followers of Jesus, if we truly understand the gospel, when we encounter Jesus's way of life and his kingdom values and priorities, then our lives can't help but be changed as well. And the Zacchaeus story is a good image that I want to kind of center our, our conversation in today, because we're going to talk about how the gospel influences and shapes our view of work. Zacchaeus' philosophy of work changed after he welcomed Jesus into his house and into his life. We know this because we know tax collectors had a bad reputation in society. They were hated by people. Do you ever notice that when Jesus encounters with the Pharisees, they talk? he's criticized for hanging out with irreputable people? He's like, oh, Jesus is always hanging around with the prostitutes and the sinners and the tax collectors. They're just lumped right in there with the kind of people that most folks don't want to associate with. Well, that was Zacchaeus. He was part of that crowd. He was chief tax collector, we're told. Um, but he renounced his uh, lawlessness. He renounced his cheating ways and vowed to make reparations just because he can't encountered Jesus. And I, it's not just that knowing Christ will make you go from a dishonest worker to an honest worker. <clears throat> it's that a fuller understanding of God's design and purpose for work helps us see some of the flaws in a secular philosophy of work that at first glance may seem harmless. So this morning, we're going to kind of do two things. We're going to look at a biblical overview of work, and then we're going to compare it to some modern popular philosophies about work. And just for the sake of uh, definitions, we're going to say that work is anything you do for a result. Uh, the most obvious one is your job, a job that you get paid for. But it can also extend to your household chores, to the work that you do as a student, acts of service, volunteer work, etc. So if you're like, work, I'm retired, I'm going to tune out. You may not. You're going you're gonna to learn something as well. And it's not just how we do our work, but how we understand the work of others. So uh, if you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, you have God as a creator. Uh, he works. Six days he works. One day he rests. He speaks into the darkness, creates the light. God gives mankind work to do as well. And the story, the origin story in Genesis 2, God uh, creates man and woman. And he says, hey, I got a job for you. I want you to do some work caring for my garden. Now, we sometimes think that work is a punishment. It's a consequence of mankind's rebellion. You know, there was sin and they disobeyed God. And he's like, ah, now you're going to hurt real bad when you have kids and you're going to have to be struggling to pull tomatoes out of the ground your whole life. That's not the case. In Genesis 2, God says, I want you to do this work. Even when paradise was perfect, even before the fall, work was something that God gave as a gift. And yes, it got work. It got worse uh, after sin entered the world, and there became toil, and it was just like, ah, oh, you're gonna, you're gonna struggle, and this is gonna be harder than it's supposed to be. But work is still a good thing. And if you fast forward to the very end of the Bible, when we see this vision of God's new creation, when He restores Eden the way that it was supposed to be, there's work for the faithful people to do. Uh, we've talked about that before. So there's work from the start. There's going to be work at the end. It's not a punishment. It's not just something to kind of like muscle through. It's something that God created. It's supposed to be something that goes well with his creation. Now, here's a little pause for a moment of Bible trivia. Do you know what? who was the first person ever mentioned in Scripture to have been filled with the Spirit of God? 
let's see, Acts 2. A bunch of Christians were filled with the Spirit, but that's later in the Bible. What about Jesus? You know, the Spirit came down on him at his baptism. No, think earlier than that. In Exodus chapter 31, actually, there are artisans that are commissioned to work on the tabernacle. Like they're designing, they're building it the way that God prescribed. And the first person to said to receive the Holy Spirit from God is a guy named Bezalel. It's a great name. I don't know why we don't name our kids Bezalel anymore. I mean, he's known for doing something positive. He's a worker, he's an artisan, and he's filled with the Spirit of God. I'd like to see more Bezalels out there. Just public service announcement. Side note. Um, but yeah, then during the time, there's some evidence for a positive view of work in the Psalms as well. God is described as a worker. He's the one who feeds his creation. So this guy named Martin Luther came along in the whatever 16th century uh, during the time of the Reformation and he studied the Psalms and he keyed in on this one Psalm, Psalm 145. Listen to this. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall. He lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them food at the proper time. You open your hand, and you satisfy the desires of every living thing. Luther observed that if you're part of doing something that helps people eat, which is the work that God does, it's described in Psalm 145. If you do that, if you help people eat, if you help them thrive, if you help them be well and survive, there's a dignity in that. You're partnering with God. He identified this work as ministry, and that was kind of significant because it was during a time when the church was encouraging people to, like, separate uh, regular life from church life. They were saying, like, you know what, like, uh, interpreting the Bible is hard. We're going to keep it in Latin. Like, let the church pros do the church stuff, and you guys just, you know, try to be good in your jobs. But uh, there was this separation of life and faith that's, you know, sometimes was encouraged by the church. But Luther observed the integration between life and faith. He probably didn't have a slide with a section plate on it like I had a few weeks ago, but he taught, like we do, that faith should not just be a private corner of our life, separated from all other elements, but it should be incorporated. And the Apostle Paul, who was a missionary, a minister, messenger of the gospel, but he also supported himself by sewing tents and canvases and ship sails and all that. He writes this message to the Corinthian church. Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Think of your work as something that you're offering before God. Put your heart into it. Let's examine some modern philosophies about work. This next section borrows heavily from uh, Tim Keller and uh, co-author's book called Every Good Endeavor. What the others are basically saying is that without the gospel, your work becomes three things. It ends up defining you, it ends up boring you, and it ends up corrupting you. So the first thing, without the gospel, your work defines you. If you attach your value or your worth to your job, if it's the primary way that you measure your worth, then it becomes your identity. If your work becomes your identity, then whether or not you succeed, you actually lose. Because if you do well in your job that defines you, then it goes to your head. You start believing the hype. Oh yes, I am the greatest at what I do. Thank you so much for noticing. You start to become more self-reliant and then you have to fight tooth and nail to keep that, to maintain that identity. But if you don't do well at your job, then it's going to crush you. Erin Callen was a former CFO of uh, Lehman. And then after all the craziness happened, she 
reflected on it, and this is a quote. Since I resigned my position as CFO of Lehman in 2008 amid the chaos and cloud of public humiliation, I've had ample time to reflect on the decisions I made in balancing, or rather failing to balance, my job with the rest of my life. It didn't start out with a goal of devoting all myself to my job. My boundaries just slipped away until work was all that was left. Inevitably, when I left my job, it devastated me. What I did was who I was. Without this crisis, I would have never been strong enough to step away. The Christian worldview says, I am a child of God. I know that I'm known and loved by God. I'm not anxious about proving my worth or my value to anyone. If work goes well, then that's great. If not, that's okay too. I'm going to be able to leave it aside and not let it define me. I'm not defined by what I've done, but I'm defined by what Christ has done for me. That's one number one. Without the gospel, the work uh, defines you. You might be thinking, okay, Jacob, that sounds like good advice for people who are career driven, but some of us are just trying to get a paycheck and go home. We're not like super attached to our jobs. It's definitely not our identities. So this next one is good for you. Without the gospel, work will bore you. And this goes back to what Luther said about understanding your work as partnering with God. Remember he said, if you're doing any kind of work that helps someone, then you're partnering with the God of providence, the God who gives, the God who provides and takes care of his creation. But culture, on the other hand, says that some jobs are important and some jobs are not important. Culture tells us if you uh, are going to have a son-in-law someday, you should want to say, ah, my son-in-law is a manager. My son-in-law is a doctor. Ah, I did so well. Nobody gets really excited to say, ah, my son-in-law cleans bowling alleys. But there's nothing wrong with that. But our, we've been conditioned to believe one job has less dignity than the other. One is more worth striving for. The other one is something that you should be ashamed about. Then we perpetuate this view when we devalue ourselves, when we do these kinds of service jobs or low paying roles, or when we look down on people that do. I'll tell you a story. I, the rudest I have ever seen someone be to a server in a restaurant was when I was meeting with a group of church leaders from the church that Lisa and I were attending at the time. People at the table were making comments about how forgetful the server was and how this is the worst service I experienced and just loud, uh, intentional comments about like, well, we know where we're not going to have our next meeting, right? It was embarrassing. Besides just a lack of basic respect, it revealed a lack of understanding that what that person was doing was divine work, according to the Psalms. And this kind of treatment contributes to the false narratives that these jobs are more these jobs are more noble than these because they're higher paying or require more education or whatever. If Christians communicate this to people in service or helping professions, then we completely miss the words of Jesus when he says things like, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And when he says, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Kind of a good thing that during the COVID shutdown, we all realized how much we needed uh, delivery drivers and shelf stockers and food producers and hospital custodians and just the people that were like, yeah, they do fine. We're, you know, someone's got to do it, but whatever. They were making signs and going like, you're the real heroes. And yes, we appreciate you. That was a good reminder. 
And also, side note, if you're a Christian and you go to a restaurant, be a good tipper. Okay. The third thing is that without the gospel, your work will corrupt you. But a Christ-like worldview brings a morality into the world of business that is uh, gradually but uh, consistently losing its moral compass. There used to be a set of unwritten rules in how you conduct your business. They weren't like laws or regulations or things you had to do, but just sort of this honor system that said things like, you you know, you behave decently. You There's a certain way you treat a customer and certain things you would never do to a customer and you you know if you're a if you're a CEO you don't take an exorbitant amount of money for yourself but that has changed now the unwritten rule is do whatever it takes do whatever you can get away with and if your morality is derived from the business world and not from the gospel then it is going to corrupt you you won't accidentally stumble upon a Christ-like way of operating and more and more people, as they lose uh, a moral compass that comes from the Bible and that comes from Jesus, they're looking anywhere else to get it. That's why there's almost like a spirituality of work. There are all these 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 quotable quotes that people post on social media. There are these maxims that people live by. And they sound good because they're about teamwork and they're about striving and they're about doing your best and like not giving up and all this. But that kind of becomes the spirituality that we abide by rather than the spirituality that comes from the gospels i heard a report recently about a ceo inviting a bunch of christian ministers into a meeting with his board and asking them for ideas on moral principles in the workplace why would he do that the ceo was not a christian himself but he realized we don't really have a moral compass where our ethics are just kind of like whatever we can get away with surely there has to be some wisdom out there so he brought him in and just said like what 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 do you operate by? What, what works for you guys? He was looking for any kind of guiding principle to inform how he led his company. And I think that's pretty telling. I heard another story about a boss who took the blame for his employee, even though he didn't have to. Something in the office was a mistake and it was, um, it was somebody's fault or it was a team fault, but nobody wanted to take the blame for it. And there was an employee that... She kind of figured, oh, man, this is it's going to fall on me. I'm going to have to be the one to get fired. You know, everybody needs a scapegoat. And I think this time it's going to be me. But she was really, really floored when her supervisor went to the people in charge and said, yep, this was my department. I'll take full responsibility for this. And, you know, they lost money and the, the, the boss was was reprimanded. And, it, you know, it was kind of ugly. But in the aftermath of this, the employee went to the boss and said, you didn't have to do that. There was nothing that would have like tied you back to it. You you didn't have to take ownership of that. They could you could have just let everything fall on me, which everybody else seemed perfectly happy to do. Why would you throw yourself under the bus like that? And he said, "Well, it's because I'm a Christian. And Jesus took the blame for me, and so that's what I did for you, even though I didn't have to." And her response was, "Where do you go to church? Because that's I'm going to go there with you next Sunday." I want to know more about this Jesus. And it also reminds me of a similar story that's a little bit closer to home about how we have an opportunity to shine the light of Christ in the workplace just by being a good worker, just by being ourselves and having a full understanding of the gospel and then applying that to how we work. So there are two construction workers. This is a true story. One was pretty wild and liked to party and all that stuff. And the other one was 
more responsible. He was hardworking. He loved the Lord and he had an infectious joy in his work and in his interactions with most people. And one day, the first worker goes to the second worker and says, John, I've noticed that you're different than most other workers I work with. Why is that? John replied, well, Al, it's because I have Jesus in my life. I know that I'm loved and I'm forgiven by him. And that's why I love and forgive others. That's why I do a hard, honest day's work each day. And Al came to church with John and was baptized by a third guy. We'll call him Rod. And the rest of the story is history. Our gospel summary today is uh, another passage of scripture. It's from Romans 6.23, that tent-making, sail-mending apostle Paul wrote this to the church in Rome. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's a great way to just kind of wrap it all up. We deserve death because of our sin. But God gives us eternal life through Jesus who didn't sin as a gift. We did not earn it. We don't deserve it. It was given to us and all we can do is receive it. Scriptures like Romans 6.23 and then a big chunk of Ephesians 2 remind us that salvation is given to us as a gift. That's the gospel. And it's solely based on what Christ has done and acknowledges that we have done nothing to earn it in return. And this is quite contrary to the modern view about success and achievement in the workplace. Because we as Christians realize salvation is not something that we have achieved or can take credit for. We haven't achieved it. We've only received it. And knowing that keeps our work from defining us. It keeps it, keeps it from boring us and it keeps from corrupting us. So guess what? One day this week, I'll bet you will have an encounter or you will have an opportunity to talk to somebody who starts talking about their work. It's one of those five things that people talk about the most. Work comes up all the time. And they may not have a gospel-influenced view of work, and you will have an opportunity to share with them. It's a chance for Christians to share a beautiful new view of work being something good, something being of God. And maybe you can even share the good news that whatever kind of work you do and to whatever degree that you succeed at your work, that you are still known and loved by God. You can talk about your identity being rooted in Christ and nothing else. And knowing that you have confidence that your future is secure. So think about this. Who might end up in your backyard this week? Who is somebody that you could share this good news that releases us from so much stress? You know, they call it the rat race and that just this image of striving and running and just ugh, wearing yourself out. We, we, can, we can do well. We can do our jobs with confidence, knowing that we're partnering with God, knowing that it doesn't define us, knowing that it's not going to change the kind of work that we do or the light of Christ that we can shine and the opportunities to share. Where can the gospel message or where can you take the gospel message this week that says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God uh, is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for revealing your truths to us through your word, through the example of Jesus. And I just pray that we all have a gospel understanding, that the gospel uh, illuminates every single area of our lives, how we should use our money, how we should treat one another, how we should work and think about 
the works that we do in our in our jobs and in our spare time, the ways that we help people and love people. And God, give us opportunities to share this so that your kingdom will continue to grow. We pray that with or without us, your kingdom will come and your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.